I've been journeying through old Camel Knees' letter to the churches scattered. And if Camel Knees, really? It's Jesus' brother. If you've missed out on the last two weeks, go online and grab them. But John, James, James, I have a migraine. I guess I need to do a full disclosure here. Some people who have heard me preach for years know the deal. When I have a migraine, I mess up my words. Okay? I, I will probably say John again instead of James. I will invert words. I'm okay. It's okay. It's just embarrassing. But it happens a lot. So you will get to know this about me, and you will know when I have a migraine or not because my words will go wonky. And you'll be like, did she really mean that? But you, I promise you, you will learn to interpret me. Okay? It'll become a spiritual gift for each of you. So when you bring somebody to church, you're going to say, actually, she's got a migraine. It's okay. This is what she really means. You, you, will, you will figure it all out. I promise you. So if you've missed being with us the last couple of weeks, we are going through the, we've been going through the book of James, written by the brother of Jesus. He's probably the oldest, we know he's the oldest, of Mary and Joseph's crew. And you could find James, who became head of the church in Jerusalem, maybe the first bishop, if you will, but he would often be found in the temple on his knees, interceding for the people. And he prayed on his knees so much that they got calloused, and he was nicknamed James the Just or Old Camel Knees. Now, don't you want to be the person who prays on your knees so much? Some of you are like, my knees are old. If your knees aren't old yet, and you can get on them before the Lord, I, I encourage that humble posture to become old camel knees before the Lord. And so we are again going through James's words to us, knowing that they are inspired by the Spirit. And they're called to challenge us today. So I want to ask you a question. And you please don't raise your hand. Because eventually I'm going to ask you a question that you're not going to want to raise your hand and publicly acknowledge necessarily. So how many of you can recall the worst thing that you have ever said to someone? I want you to think about it for a minute. You got it? Ouch, right? Yeah, we're going to start there today. How many of you can recall the worst thing that's ever been said to you? How many of you can recall the best thing that's ever been said to you? Here's what's funny. That one's harder to remember. That one's harder, right? Because you're still thinking about it. Huh, what was the best thing? But it wasn't so hard to remember the worst thing that you've probably said to somebody. And it was certainly really easy to recall one of the worst things ever said to you. So why is that? There's been lots of studies on this. And what we do know is that our brains are wired to a negative bias. We are linked hard to a negative bias. 
So what does that mean? That means that we are far more sensitive to the negative. Negative responses, negative experiences impact us far greater and far deeper than a positive experience. Some of you are like, oh, my life is making sense. This means that we feel the sting of the negative, the sting of rebuke way more powerfully than we feel the power of praise. In fact, studies have said that you cannot undo a negative with one positive. All right, side note, this one's for free. If you are a child, if you're a youth, if you are married, this is something to make good note of if you're a parent or if you know people, okay? This is a public service announcement. When it happens and you've said something, and you can't peel it back. Yes, an apology is important. But one positive thing after that does not cancel out the negative. Science actually tells us that it requires five positives to one negative. Because we have a negative bias. We are impacted deeper and stronger, and it feels like forever by the negative. So I know in recent years there's been lots of study and money and, and smarter people than me who have worked this out. But are you grateful to know that God already dealt with this in his word? He actually spoke to this. So I want to ask you another question. How often do you listen to yourself speak? How often do you pay attention to the words you use? How about especially when you're tired? Or when work is stressful? Or maybe you've not gotten along terrifically with the people under your roof? Or maybe you've had a conflict with a friend? Or maybe you're just severely annoyed? Do you listen to how you speak. Do you listen to the words you use and do you listen to your tone? I'm not sure that we do. See, the scripture says that our tongue is a powerful thing. In fact, it's a dangerous thing. With our tongues, we can taste sweet and sour and salty and bitter. With our tongues, we can tell the truth or we can tell a lie. With our tongues, we can give thanks to God or we can give glory to ourselves. With our tongues, we can encourage each other or we can gossip about each other. With our tongues, we can praise God or we can curse him. With our tongues, we can testify of the things of the Lord, 
or we can say nothing. With our tongues, we can build someone up or we can tear them down with a word. We can speak love or we can speak contempt. We can praise our children, our spouses, our friends, our loved ones for their accomplishments or we can tear them down for their inadequacies. With our tongue, we can be humble or we can be arrogant. With our tongue, we can worship the Lord or we can worship ourselves. Words can be as sweet as nectar and as dangerous as a sword. And if your love language is words of affirmation, you're already tracking with me. You know the power of words on your heart, on your mind, on your soul. Words can be as sweet as nectar and as dangerous as a sword. They can build us up and encourage us. They can comfort us. And they can so easily tear us down. They can deny our personhood. They can make us feel inadequate, rejected, unwanted, and even unworthy. There was a young man who came to the great philosopher Socrates. And he was being introduced so he could, re- he could receive instruction about how to be a good speaker. And the moment the young man was introduced, he began to talk. And he didn't give Socrates an opportunity to say a word. And finally, when the philosopher was able to jump in, he says, young man, I will have to charge you a double fee. The young man says, why? And he said, because I'm going to have to teach you two lessons. First, how to hold your tongue. And second, how to use it. I believe that James, through the Holy Spirit, has to do the same thing with us. Teach us how to hold our tongue and how to use it. So the big idea as we've gone through James has been this very thing, that what we claim to believe must be evident in how we live. We are going to be a consistent people. That does not mean we are a perfect people. It does not mean that we will not stumble and fall. We will. But we will be a people who pick each other up. We will be a people who keep pressing on to the goal. We will be a people who continually work at allowing the Spirit to produce the very nature and character of our King, King Jesus, in our lives. And James helps us along the way in very practical terms. You've heard me say that James is this beautifully crafted punch in the gut. And here we go again today. So we have looked at trials and how trials do not produce faith, they expose our faith. Last week we talked about a living faith and that a living faith compels us to do good works. A living faith. An act of alive faith results in us doing good, serving in the kingdom, loving our neighbor. And now we're going to deal with something really intimate. 
our words. So if you have your Bible, or it's going to go on the screen, you will notice I don't have a clicker. So, you know, this should go better. I'm thankful for John, who has a clicker at the back. So, James chapter 3. Not many of you are going to do 1 to 12. I'm reading from the NIV. James 3. Not many of you should be teachers, my fellow believers. Because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouth of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take a ship as an example. Although they're so large and they are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder. Whenever the, wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, all right? Likewise, verse 5. The tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great force is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire. A world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Lord, forgive us. Out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig fig tree bear olives? Or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce salt water. Father God, those are powerful words. And in the reading of your word, we are guilty as no human has been able to tame the tongue. So Holy Spirit, I invite you to to root up what needs to be rooted up in us today. Keep our hearts soft before you, Lord, because we long to be more like your son. In Jesus' name, amen. So this is not James's first time about speaking about words. If you have read through this letter, you will have known that he's been building up to it. In chapter 1, he says everybody should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become anger. Another public service announcement. This is not just apply to our children or our husbands or our wives. It applies to all of us. All of us. 
quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. James also goes on to say that if anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on their tongue, they deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. If you are feeling a little bit uncomfortable in this moment, I I mean, I am. That's the Spirit convicting us. We need to sit in that. Because our God does not have a condemning love, but a perfecting love. So don't tune out. Don't check out. Stay present. We're all uncomfortable. And I, and I trust that you are, you are here because you want to hear from the Lord. And if you're a human, you all look like you are. We have a tendency to want to shut this down. So let's not do that. Let's stay leaned right in. If you're a guest with us this morning, well, the Lord was not surprised by your attendance. So it's also a word for you. So lean in with us. James says in chapter 2 that we are to speak and act as those who are being judged by the law that gives freedom. I so deeply know in my spirit that this word is specific today. There are some of us, whether you're online with us or you're in the house, the Lord really wants you to hear this today. He's ready to do business and to clean some things up. That perfecting love was waiting for us as we came to church today. That perfecting love wants us to be set free. We we sang about coming out of the grave. We sang about the goodness of God. We are not sitting down together saying, here's what I'm preaching, let's do those songs. That's the spirit at work. He prepared that list that we just sang. He prepared the word that we now come under. So, loved ones, I believe that the Holy Spirit is wanting to do an inventory in us today, specifically around our words. And so my heart, and I believe it's in tune with the Lord's heart, is for us to lean in and give serious personal reflection as we move through this word this morning. So James begins that not not everyone should want to be a teacher. Have you ever noticed when adversity happens, when something goes wrong in your life, there's a thousand counselors? Like everybody has an opinion. And everybody wants to guide you and everybody wants to help tell you how you got where you are. Maybe you've been guilty of being one of those counselors. See, here's the thing. We have so many well-intended people who want to offer what they believe is well-intended advice. 
But James says you should not presume to be a teacher because you need to know that those who teach will be judged more strictly. This is a passage that is scary for those of us who are called to preach and teach. Because we will give an account for the words we use. There are some people who seek a title. They seek a position. They want recognition. They want to be up front. They want to teach out of pride. They want to exalt themselves. They, they want to place themselves in a posture of seeming important. But we need to understand, loved ones, whether it's a public ministry or it's private advice, that there is a great responsibility that we hold when we speak into someone's life. It is heavy. And I need us to always know that somebody actually might listen to what you say. Somebody might follow your instructions. Your words matter. So teaching is a high calling with a high level of accountability. Our words matter all day long, every day. And our words stick. They influence ourselves and those around us. And that influence is either negative or positive. So I have some questions. Some points of reflection this morning. Who are you? If I were to do a little survey one-on-one -on -one with people and ask your friends in the church, hey, who's Daryl? What would they say? How would they best describe your characteristics? When I ask about how do they use their words, what are they going to share? What kind of parent are you? Whether that is a spiritual parent, an adopted parent, a birth parent. What kind of person of influence are you? Are you proud? Are you self-loathing? Who are you in Christ? Now, between you and the Spirit, think about how you answered those questions. How many negative words did you use? How many negative things, if you were being brutally honest, would you speak about yourself? Are you surprised? See, Jesus tells us, that, tells us that we are to love our neighbor as ourself. So do you love yourself? Do you really love yourself? Who are you? 
What do you say about you? Was your list full of negatives? Do you speak death over yourself? See, we can't love our neighbors as ourselves if we don't love ourselves. We cannot give to somebody what we do not have. And every single day, every moment of the day, consciously or unconsciously, we determine who we are by what we tell ourselves. Funny story, my grandpa who passed away a number of years ago, he would say to us, he never saw a mirror he didn't like. And it was true. He would, he would go by a mirror. It didn't matter if you were in Sears or Eaton's. He saw a mirror and he'd say, hey, good looking. No. He never saw a mirror he didn't like. Ladies, most of us don't do that, do we? Most of us have never seen a mirror we like. Oh, my hair's the wrong color. My eyes are too small. My teeth are crooked or too straight. What do you speak over yourself? Every conscious or unconscious thing that we say determines how we see the world around us. This tiny little muscle in our mouth has the ability to dictate our entire world. James likens it to a bit in a horse's mouth. And with a tiny bit, we can control a beast of an animal or a huge ship that can hold hundreds, maybe thousands, is controlled by a tiny rudder. Often, I will meet with people and we talk and I go to Romans 1 a lot about you know, controlling our thoughts and renewing our minds. Making sure that we are right-thinking people. See, the scripture says that we are to take our thoughts captive. Have you ever thought about taking your words captive? Huh. There's a link there, isn't there? See, we need to be on guard and pay attention to the negative messages. Our tongue has the power to take our thoughts, our emotions, and our actions and hijack them, to hold them hostage, and we can be none the wiser. So change your words, change your world. Change your words, change your world. So what would happen if we stopped with the negative self-talk? What if we replaced it by saying the things that God says about us over ourselves? What if we allowed the creator of the universe, the very one who knit you and I together, decide who we are? What if we trusted the Lord enough to allow him to speak to the deepest 
most private part of who you are? And then what if we believed it? I'm about to read a list that was not compiled by me. In fact, I don't know who compiled it to give them credit. But somebody here needs to hear this today. And so I'm going to invite you, just not even out loud, but in your heart, in your mind, you can whisper it. I want you to repeat these lines after me. Because they're about you. And this is what the Father says about you. So repeat after me, I am loved. I am accepted. I am a child of God. I am a friend of Jesus. I am a joint heir with Jesus. I share in his inheritance with him. have goosebumps yet? I am united with God. I am one in spirit with him. I am a temple of God. His spirit lives in me. I am a member of the body of Christ. I am a saint. I am redeemed and forgiven. I am complete in Jesus. Feel something inside you, loved ones? I am free from condemnation. I am a new creation. I am chosen by God. I am holy and dearly loved. I am established, anointed, and sealed. I do not have a spirit of fear. I have a spirit of love, power, and of sound mind. I am God's co-worker. I am seated in heavenly places with Jesus. I have direct access to God. I have been chosen to bear fruit. I am one of God's living stones. I am being built up into a spiritual house. I have been given exceedingly great and precious promises. I share in the nature of God. I can always know his presence because he never leaves me. God works in me to help me do the things he wants me to do. I can ask God for wisdom and he will give me what I need.
Mother Teresa said, you cannot judge people. She said, if you judge people, you have no time to love them. If you are in a perpetual state of judging yourself, you have no time to love yourself. And if you do not love yourself, you cannot love your neighbor like yourself. If we do not hold a right view of ourselves, if you and I are consumed in the negative, then we are not free. And the way forward in doing this, to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, is to take heed to the words of James. To take heed to the words of Proverbs, that our words hold the power of life and of death. See, the Lord is awaiting our response this morning, loved ones. You and I are meant to be living proof. Living proof of the death and resurrection of Jesus that we are no longer our own, but Christ lives in us. And what we claim to believe must be evident in how we live, even in the secret place. Even in the areas where you have shared with no one. What we claim to believe needs to be evident in what we say to ourselves, how we feel about ourselves, how we proclaim ourselves. I suspect there's not a person with us today that does not have some work to do in this area. But see, first things first, we have to acknowledge the truth. We have to acknowledge that the Lord says our words matter. They are like sparks that can set a forest on fire. Our words hold power. All day long, every day, every word, they hold power. So we need to choose to speak life. And we need to be a people who are committed to not using our words to speak death over ourselves or over anyone. Because Jesus came to give life. We've been brought out of the grave. So the truth of the matter is, some of us here today speak a lot of death. You speak death over yourself. You say things like, you're not worth it. You're not worthy. You're not smart enough. You don't look the part. Maybe, maybe you battle with imposter syndrome. Maybe you heard some words once upon a time that have controlled what you think about yourself. Decades later, I need you to hear me this morning. God 
does not make junk. God does not make junk. You are not junk. You are not junk. You are not the sum of all of the negative things that have been put on you. You are not the sum of the negative words you've spoken over yourself. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You have been called by name and you have been appointed to be doers of his word, not just hearers of his word. So this morning, it is better for us to have not heard the word than to hear the word and ignore it. Because you and I will always now be held to what we've been told. So we are today moving forward without excuse. James has said our words have power. James has, said, James has told us that there is power in how we speak. We cannot be a people who praise and curse. We will not be a people who speak death. So the good news, loved ones, is today's a fresh start day. But it's not a fresh start day by ignoring now what we've heard. You are required to respond. Every preacher who comes to this platform in the past and in the future, they're required to deliver the word the Lord has put on their heart. And everyone who hears it is, re is required to respond. So when we get up and walk away and go home and don't think about it again, we've responded. Have we responded in the manner the Father requires? Probably not. So this morning, as the worship team comes back up, we're going to respond. See, the good news is, is that the Holy Spirit will do his thing with each of us individually. It's been stirred up in our spirits today that we, all of us, because James says that anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, and so... We're not perfect, so we're at fault. We've all misused our words. And so as the worship team begins to play, we're going to take a moment. And you can, it's a moment between you and the Lord. If you need to come up front and pray, you are welcome to do that. But you can stay in your seat 
and pray, but you need to say to the Lord, I've misused my words. I've spoken death over myself. I've spoken death over fill in the blank. I am guilty. I am so guilty. And I need your forgiveness. So I'm going to invite you right now to have that conversation for just a minute. I'm going to invite you to bow your heads or come forward, however you, however you are comfortable doing this. But it's time to just get alone for a moment with the Lord. Father God, we are a people who are found guilty by the law. We have misused our words. Not once, not twice, but far too many times. And we are guilty. But Father, today, we repent, we confess our guilt before you, and we ask for your forgiveness. We ask that you would cast our sin as far as the east is from the west, and that you would create a right spirit in us, that today, right now, we would be redeemed. Set free and given a new beginning. Lord, some of us confess that we have, we have declared that which you have created as junk. Whether we've thought and said that about ourselves or about others. We are image bearers of the Most High God. Would you seal that in our spirit today, Lord? That as we go about our day, no matter how weary or tired we become, that the people we encounter, we will see them as image bearers. And we will choose to speak life. Lord, and as we have forgiven people, begin fresh and anew, may your Holy Spirit make the list of who we are in you be so real in us. Lord, use those scriptures to breathe new life into us. that we are forgiven and chosen and set apart, that we are friends, 
joint heirs, that we sit in heavenly places. Lord God, thank you for what you've done in us this day. You are so good, and you are so merciful, and you are so wonderful that we give you all the praise and all the glory. In the glorious name of our King, we pray. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen.